Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. Good evening, wrestling fans. How are you? Welcome to the second annual Our Vantage Point Hall of Fame Bites, episode number one. I am Joe Murata. Along with me on this regal of events is Mr. Michael Quinn. How are you, Michael? Uh, Howdy doody. Howdy Um, doody. We have survived. We're at the hall again. We have survived an entire year. We're here at the hall. We've also survived a, a very brutal Wet and wild nor'easter here in uh, the Northeast. Well, I mean, the Hall of Fame is obviously on the same day as a nor'easter. <laughs> of so, course it um, is. Of course it is. And, <laughs> you know, that doesn't uh, stop us with our outfits because we just leave them at the hall every oh, year. Oh, yeah, we just we, pick them up. <laughs> I just, I went to the Lost and Found. They were like, oh, we remember you. That's where like, you got yours? Yeah, well, I found mine on the floor near the janitor's closet, actually. I feel I'm bad glad. for the lady that has to work oh, no. the WWF Hall of Fame Lost and Found <laughs> and, like, just monitor it all year. She should be in the Hall of Fame. Right. See? Well, she should get the Warrior Award, really. <laughs> exactly. But, you, know, you know what they do with that. So. Yeah. I guess we'll cover that in the uh, coming weeks. If you are newer to the show and you don't remember this from last year, it's Hall of Fame season. Within the next month, we will be going over two inductees per episode, and then, of course, at the end there, the legacy inductions for the 2018 WWE Hall of Fame. And regardless what you think of the WWE Hall of Fame as it is now, and I'm sure we'll have our opinions, uh, we're here for a half-hour bite every single week until WrestleMania. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to check us out. Our normal Monday episode is coming out, episode number 73 of our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. If you're listening only on audio, you can check out the video version of this on YouTube mm-hmm. and vice versa. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at OVP Podcast. But Quinn, we've only got a half hour here. Yes. Barely able to get the time again this year with our sponsors. Yeah. So I, I suppose, you know, <laughs> we're, we're in a, t- a tight squeeze here. I think they're using the this room here after us well, for something Lord else. Alfred is really always shuffling along the <laughs> Hall of Fame every year. So He is. Uh, Quinn, I guess we're going to start this uh, this specific episode in this specific year with a, the latest inductee as of press time. Yes. Anyway, and a polarizing figure out on our boards. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. That would be, uh, well, maybe this theme song will uh, bring a little smile to your face and make you do a little hoedown. Because it's Hillbilly Jim. And uh, I guess I should mention as we listen to these wonderful tones here (laughs) that you could join our Facebook group. It's a great discussion group at um, Facebook.what? Feet. Feet. Thank you. Hall of Fame this (laughs) this year. (laughs) Just search for our Vantage Point Retro Wrestling Podcast Facebook group, discussion group. One of us will let you in. It'll be a great time. What ominous music for the group. (laughs) (laughs) Hillbilly Jim's theme. Don't go messing with the country boy. Quinn, Hillbilly Jim is uh, is in the Hall of Fame or will be in the Hall of Fame this Mm -hmm. year. People had various disparate opinions. What do you think? I think he's very deserving. Okay. Um, and I have reasons. Um, first and foremost, he was over. He was. He like, you know, say what you will about his like prominence. And I know some of that had to do with injuries and Yes, he was injured almost out of the get-go in eighty five. Right. And then didn't he just kind of instantly like work for them backstage? <laughs> like yeah. so it's not like he had a lot a long time in the WWF. However, when he was there, mm-hmm. he was a very popular figure. The crowds really took to him. He was a happy-go-lucky figure, and, and 
I guess we'll start real quick here. He had been a wrestler before WWF um, mm-hmm. in 85. He had actually done a gimmick called Harley Davidson uh, somewhere in the South where he was a bit of a biker gimmick. Get See, it? Harley here's Davidson. the thing is if you look at him, he looks like that a biker. fits. It yeah. does, totally does. Like they just put overalls on a biker, basically. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's in the Hells Angels. He very well could, right? And he also is a very imposing figure, by the way. Big guy, probably um, real life, maybe at least 6'4", six, 6'5", six, probably build more than that. When I saw him next to the likes of the Hulkster and stuff, sometimes I felt like he was like bigger. Big country boy look yeah. to him. You know when he did that pose? Where oh, he, the pose. He, and he never ever, uh, you know, took, you know, didn't take an opportunity to do that. You he know? loved his pose. He loved it. All the way up to the gimmick battle royal and probably after that. He does it at WrestleMania 2000, like in the WrestleMania all day long. With, he does. Like, nobody prompting him to do it. <laughs> he loves that it's pose. It's hilarious. What is that pose? It's yeah, but like, <laughs> if you're uh, if you're watching, check yeah, on the I'm video version. The post, but, but yeah, what is that? Why is that? I th- okay, this is my theory. I is would love he, to hear it. His chest is fucking huge. <laughs> yes, like it is. in real life, it I is. think it's just like that's his like defining feature. Is he has a gigantic chest, so he so just he's... his pose is showing off his muscles in his chest. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, uh, Hillbilly Jim, you know, was introduced in 1985 and immediately got injured. Right. He slipped or something. So that's where we got the hillbilly family from. Right. To Your like make up for him or something. Cousin Junior and Cousin Luke. Not, Uncle Elmer. Not Yes. <laughs> Gosh, Uncle Elmer. Uh, hillbilly Jim, the only surviving member of the hillbilly family. You know, and he, his, I guess his most prominent moment, tell me if you think otherwise, would be his WrestleMania 3 mixed tag. Yes. That, the Bundy match. Definitely would be his most prominent moment and he's not even the main guy in it but no (laughs) but he does like come off as like a friendly figure saving the midgets absolutely i always like that i always like that too and i love that hillbilly jim was always portrayed and corny as i might have thought it was as a kid the older i get the more i appreciate him like he's just a fun loving guy he's just a crowd pleaser like he and you know what honestly that would normally alone not be enough for me right with you know the cocoa line or whatever absolutely if you're not but familiar with that that's the, that's our barometer as of press time right the, the cocoa, cocoa line. line we might have a new line after this episode we'll actually see. but anyway yep. um yeah the um his contributions backstage mm-hmm. i think really set him apart from uh most of the guys we talk about and what quinn's alluding to there is you know a sporadic wrestling career up to about 1990 he was also a commentator just a quick mention of that and a a good happy color commentator for a bunch of msg shows and then he was also on the primetime roundtable edition in 91 92 but quinn is alluding to his work as a backstage agent as a uh, ambassador for the company and as for a Coliseum Video. Exactly. Most, most importantly to me. So you think that was important and that kind of elevated him up to Hall of Fame yeah, status? Yeah, because we all, like everyone who listens to this podcast, you know, me and Joe, we all love Coliseum Video. This is true. And if Hillbilly Jim had anything to do with either promoting it or like supporting it in sure. any capacity, because we know they had like a razor thin budget and like nobody <laughs> working for them. Yeah, so, that's for sure. And Hillbilly Jim worked for Coliseum Video up to like 2002 or something. The, the like, home video yeah. department by but then, yes. What was Coliseum? Correct. And like, he was a main part of it. He'd go out, sell tapes, etc. Put anyone over also when he was a wrestler. He would yeah. get any angle and gimmick over. I he mean, just, going back to that WrestleMania all day long, yeah, it's ahead. great to see his enthusiasm for the home video division. He like goes on and on about how, you know, this is the future. And, you know, right. you'll be able to see all the matches. And, you know, that's kind of a weird forerunner to, like, the WWE Network. Somebody who's interested in the past footage 
You know, like maybe there wouldn't be a WWE network. I'm just saying. Wow. So Quinn is crediting Hillbilly Jim. You heard it here first with the WWE network. But I, I understand what you're saying, Quinn. I think the the thing that gets that got overlooked by me because again, it's only in my more recent years that I've come to really appreciate Hillbilly Jim, the man, the character, and the work that he did. To me, as a kid. And I'm talking 10, 12, 15 years old. He's like, oh, what was this stupid hillbilly guy? Like, oh, <laughs> but yeah. like, honestly, you look at him. He's solid worker in the ring. He's fine. He, he's, he's not embarrassing. Not embarrassing. Yeah. Put everyone over that they wanted them to put over. Right. Did good commentary. Was always reliable. Right. Never soured himself with them. Obviously, they were high on him. He worked for them forever. I do think if he didn't have a hillbilly gimmick, he might have been a way bigger star because his size alone, yeah. he should be a monster. He should be, right? But he was so good at his bumpkin character, so it's tough. would you say, like, you know, I'm thinking about Hillbilly right now, right? And his size, and I understand that in the day and age, he was in the land of giants, so he may have not seemed as big. This is true. Even though he was very large, even by their standards. Sure. Um, He almost is like the size of Braun Strowman. He is a very, very large man. Yeah, like probably not as bulky as Braun Strowman. Yeah. But he's big. Yeah, He's he's just huge, and you know you see how popular Braun Strowman is. I feel like Hillbilly could have been that character had he not been a hillbilly. I think you might be right. It's certainly a good point you brought up that he, unfortunately for him, to that extent, he coexisted at a time where he had guys like Big John Stud, yeah, King Kong Bundy, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan. But if you would have transplanted him fresh into even the mid 90s right he would have been more of a standout right and especially like you said uh, this day and age where other than who big show yeah kane and they're both old and, like, they're kind crappy. of semi-retired too even <laughs> yeah. like i know we joke that like they they pop up randomly or whatever but they really like three times often. a year yeah yeah especially kane yeah. with his mayoral campaign yeah Kane Kane. It's funny that Kane came back for like two (laughs) seconds, but like literally that was like a month and he's like gone again. So So I I guess do you understand at least before we move on to our next one here in a minute, do you understand the people that are thinking that he shouldn't be in? I understand because, you know, he never won any titles and like he wasn't like he didn't stand out as a worker or anything. Nope. And that's what the internet likes. They want all the workers and blah, blah, blah. And they, they, the bar is way too high in the internet for the hall of fame. If right. you ask me. It's almost like it's being conflated with the Dave Meltzer hall of fame, which is almost the opposite of, of the WWE hall of fame. Right. You know, I think to be in the WWF hall of fame, you have to have made like a significant impact and it doesn't matter how you made that impact, but you made it. And that's kind of why sure. Coco for me is the bar as the like the low end is just because he really didn't make an impact in the WWE. He didn't. No, um, he had good work before there. Yeah, but he was always like just he was like Virgil or something like he was just nobody. Yeah, he was just there. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say that Hillbilly Jim really didn't do anything before WWE. Like we mentioned, he was a Harley Davidson gimmick that no one cared about really that I know of anyway. Right. But if Hillbilly hadn't contributed in the back. Right. I would not hold him in the high esteem that I do here. That's a very good point. So if he was just a wrestler mm-hmm. and only had his wrestling career. Yeah. Then you're not putting him in. Yeah, exactly. But you add to not only the wrestling, but also the the on-screen roles that he held to help get things over. Loyalty to the company. Loyalty. For, yeah, I mean, he could have gone and been an agent for WCW if he wanted to, but he didn't. Could have gone and wrestled there, too, if he yeah. wanted to. He wasn't yeah. that old, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then being a brand ambassador for him, like one of the first ones, an early ambassador. Yeah, and you know, that's, that's another thing we we kind of glossed over, but he did a lot for charity for the WWE, which is, you know, they really... Yeah. Uh, 
they reward people who um, give back to the community, take the time out of their, their wrestling schedule to go do that. Yep. And it's no surprise that a guy like that is in the Hall of Fame also. I think that's true. You know, not that this is a criteria for getting in, but it certainly helps add to one's case. I've never heard a bad word said about the guy. No, and nobody disliked him. You're right. How do you, like, what is there to not like about him? Right. Right? He just he seems, seems like, like a, a nice guy. <laughs> He's do, he'll do anything for the company, whether it be wrestling or, like, shilling tapes. Like, he doesn't yeah. give a shit. Like, you know what? You're right. And uh, I guess I'm going to agree with you. He should be in. Yeah. I think for the reasons that you mentioned as well. So, wrestling career, bleh, right? Yeah. He had a Coco Beware-esque WWF career. Right. Not even as prolific. But his post-career was was fantastic. And he, yeah, he was a, a face of the company in, in a way. I'm not yeah. saying the face, but a face right. for the company, an affable personality, mm-hmm. nice guy. Didn't get into trouble. Right, didn't embarrass them. Yeah. I agree with them putting him in. Yeah. Wrestling career aside. Right. All right. We have another induction here. Like we said, folks, we got a half hour. We got to cram this in here. Yep. Now, there's a there's a song I could use. See, I feel like we were we were singing this song before it blew up big on another podcast. Oh, yes, that song. So I'm not going to use it out of protest. Um, what? I'm going to use this one instead to signify the next inductee that we're going to talk about. Double J, mm. Jeff Jarrett. Now, this is one, Quinn. Oh, boy. The second half of the show might get a little testy here. Yeah, we got two extra minutes to, we <laughs> to talk about Jeff Jarrett. So before, let's both hold our tongues on our opinions. I'll give you a very brief, you know, condensed rundown of Jeff sure. Jarrett. Very brief. Okay. He's the son of Memphis promoter Jerry Jarrett, a guy who also worked for Vince McMahon, a notable figure in the business. He came up in Memphis as a face in 1988, I believe. Mm-hmm. He was down in Memphis for about five years, basically always as a face. And, uh, hi there, I'm Jeff Jarrett, you know, yeah. son of Jerry Jarrett, blah, 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 right? Um, decent looking guy, decent look, you know, yeah. decent physique, he decent had, in the ring. You know, he had the mid, like, <laughs> Mid Carter. <laughs> well, I don't want to say it before we get into Middling. it. Middling. He had the mid Carter look, though. Yeah, he did. He, he, you know, the, he did. the athlete kind of looking guy. Yeah, like an like, athlete, Look like clean cut, very intercontinental about him. <laughs> very U.S. title. Yeah. Um, and then he moved to the World Wrestling Federation in the fall or winter of 1993, underneath the uh, the Double J Jeff Jarrett. Nashville, ha ha ha, Tennessee gimmick. He was going to use the WWF as a stepping stone to <laughs> Nashville fame. <laughs> Which I, what? I never got the real like motivation behind that. Like, oh, all, he's an asshole. Okay. Remember all those WWF connections to Nashville and how they they had all these, you know, all of them. Remember the how the honky tonk man became a huge music star <laughs> yeah. for, after being in WWF. Well, that was Jeff Jarrett's that plan. Jeff Jarrett. I guess it was. He was kind of an early '90s mid card honky tonk man. Now the thing about Jeff Jarrett's WWF run. Um, Briefly going to run through this. So he pretty much did nothing with it all throughout 1994. Like literally no one cared about him in 94. Yeah, he was just a suspenders, <laughs> like quadruple Light suspenders wearing idiot. Yeah, like, and he looked dumb. Yeah. And he was kind of annoying, but he was like, he was like a paper cut. He's mildly annoying for a second. Then he kind of forget about it. He's a guy that, you know, loses in the first round, of the king of the ring or something, or maybe the second round. Maybe I don't know. The like, second round. like I'm, I, I'm not remembering his king of the ring performances. My point is, yeah. is that's the style of character. He's sort of hard to beat. Right. Like, <laughs> kind of hard. Yeah. Right. A little tough. He's harder than, you know, Scott Casey, but like, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's you know? easier possibly than Lex Luger. Right. Put it that way. Right. Exactly. So, but, 
the end of 94, he finally gets over because they put him some with somebody. So before Triple H needed someone to yeah. help get him over, uh, Jeff Jarrett needed the roadie, Brian James, Brian Armstrong, to help get him over. And he was damn good as the roadie. I really enjoyed the roadie's work. Yep. As Even as a kid, I, I was more entertained by the roadie than Jeff Jarrett. I think I have to agree with you there. I like his little like pointy thing and like he would do the thing where he'd like block the fans like mic check and everything. Yeah, mic check. With a water bottle and yeah. everything. He was he was, was good. It was fa- it was a fantastic little gimmick and it doesn't get enough credit his roadie days. It was like, great, you know, yeah. it was a good heater for Jeff Jarrett. And I think it was a good introduction to um to Brian, Brian James to in Brian general James. and and when he eventually went on his own. Mhm. We knew who he was. Because of that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jeff Jarrett then, with the help of the roadie, wins the Intercontinental title. Big shocker to me as a kid from Razor Ramon at Rumble 95. That was a huge shocker, and I think that's what launched Jarrett in general. Like, nobody gave a fuck about him, like you said, until this. Until this. He had a pretty good run, I would say, as an annoying heel Intercontinental champion. He he played it well. Yeah. Um, Shawn Michaels beating him in July 95 was a great moment for good me, match. and I'm sure you. And one of the better matches in Jarrett's career. Yep. I would say so. Yeah. Uh, and that's also the pay-per-view where he sung, quote-unquote, uh, With My Baby Tonight, a song that you can find on uh, another podcast, even though we were doing it before I was aware of this yeah, podcast. We, we did do that first, <laughs> yes, right? before like, I ever even knew that that show existed. Yeah. We, I, we've I, been, yeah, we were on top of that. That was like one of our favorite things, and it's a shame that it got taken away. It really is, but nevertheless, right? Yeah. So Jeff Jarrett then, abruptly leaves with the roadie uh, right after this in your house in July. And everyone's like, what the hell happened? He randomly comes back in December, feuds with Ahmed Johnson, fights him at Royal Rumble. Yeah. Leaves again in the early 96. I don't even remember that brief comeback in it December. Was so pointless. He didn't have the roadie anymore. Yeah. Then he crops up in WCW in the fall of 96. And Quinn, he was still the strappy outfit, but he wasn't the hat. Yeah, but he had Deborah. He had Deborah McMichael. And he and was going to be in the Four Horsemen or something, but he, then, like, He was Rick like the Flair fifth did, horseman. But Ric Flair was, like, like he was at odds with if he should let him in or something, like, but he liked him. Like, something, that was, was, like, weird. the angle. And it was, like, so back and forth, and it lasted forever. And it was, like, so apparently obvious storyline-wise that he just didn't belong in the Horsemen. Like, no. Because he was, like, fucking over, like, Arn Anderson. And the moment you try to, like, mess with Arn Anderson, I'm like, you don't, you're not in this. Like, what? get the fuck out of here. I agree with you, Quinn. Yeah. Don't mess with Arn Anderson. He's, especially. like, the heart of the Horsemen. He really was. Yeah. The heart and soul of the Horsemen. So Jared has a somewhat unremarkable, in my opinion anyway, WCW run into 1997. Then all of a sudden, the fall of 97, he shows up <laughs> in a suit. He cuts some weird promo about how <laughs> Vince hated them and WCW hated them. He hates both of them, but he's back. And then he makes his debut match in late 97 in the Aztec Warrior costume. Did he not come back with Tennessee Lee first, or was that after? That was see, after. See, this is the problem with Jeff Jarrett's career, is he switches around back and forth and back to what he was, like, a million times that it's confusing if, like, he came back with Tennessee Lee before, like, but that should tell you, like, how, what, <laughs> like, how unremarkable Jeff right. Jarrett is. Because after this uh, Aztec warrior gimmick, and he was in Jim Cornette's NWA, after publicly renouncing and denouncing his old, you know, country music gimmick, lo and behold, in the spring of 1998, mm-hmm. what do we have but Colonel Robert Parker as Tennessee Lee? Yeah, that was weird, and it's basically the Colonel, just with a different name. Tennessee Lee, stupid I name. I, 
a lot of people say that, but I don't really mind that name. It's fine. Like, I, I, I think he gets a little too, they bash that for whatever reason, a little too much. That's just my opinion. It's fair enough, Gwen. It, it makes sense. Like, so he does pretty much nothing with yeah, this version. Right. But then in the summer, he finally starts to change his gimmick. Finally. Yes. Because he gets a little meaner and he starts hitting people with guitars. He's and got the he, sunglasses, and, the, the sunglasses. And, and he doesn't have the strappies anymore. Thank God. Thank God. And, and no Aztec uniform. No. And then he um, loses a hair match and he gets that iconic and he looks short cool. haircut. And he I, finally is something. He he looks interesting. He, uh, you know, say what you will. He's got like a catchphrase, like slap nuts. Slap nuts and like, don't I think piss that was me in, off. Don't piss me off was in WWF yep. and slap nuts was in WCW. But, yep. like, he has something to work with, right? And it seems like he's on the rise to, like, upper mid now. Right. Like, you know e- what I mean? Exactly and right. And I believe he formed a tag team with Owen Hart. Early 99. Or and it was awesome. That was a good team. It was a good team. So what we have now is from pretty much the end of 98 until October of 99, this Jeff Jarrett is the short-haired, guitar-wielding, woman-beating, honestly, that was part of it later. Yeah. Like, fighting women and stuff, almost and like he, an Andy Kaufman. And, but he also, weirdly enough, Deborah returned to his side from yep. WCW. Puppies and all yeah. that. Puppies JR, Puppies that's like JR. where that all came from. And he was treated as more of a big deal. I know Vince Russo was a big supporter, so much so that when Jarrett held up Vince uh, for one last payoff because he was working without a contract to lose the title to China mm-hmm. in October of 99, where does he go but to Vince Russo's WCW? Right. And this is where the world got tired of Jeff Jarrett. This is where we took a turn. And um, Jarrett may have been a Hall of Famer in my eyes had this never happened. Okay. Like, seriously, because this is where we get into, like, Triple H territory, but not as good. Overpushed. Yeah. For what he was. Not that Jarrett couldn't wrestle. Not that Jarrett couldn't talk. Not that Jarrett wasn't a talent. But in the same way that Triple H has been accused, you know, of being overpushed at times. Yeah. That happened with Jeff Jarrett for, I feel like, the year 2000 in WCW. Yeah, and for the rest of his career. Because what what happens is after WCW goes out of business, Jarrett forms TMA. And he's Jeff Jarrett. Well, I think we're, we're... We're brushing over that WCW run, Joe, because Go ahead. that's where some of the big, biggest offenses come in. That's that's where everyone can't stand him. He He's calling himself the chosen one. That is true. He's involved in the David Arquette incident. He is. He's, he is involved in the David Arquette incident. I think that should... It's just ridiculous. And, and no one ever wanted to see Jeff Jarrett on their screen after WCW, like, to be honest. I mean, I'm not going to disagree. I got tired of him when he was in WCW. I tolerated them, and I had no real problem with him in WWF. And we should also note that he became the WCW world champion. Like, that's... He did. That's finally the big time. Right. And of mul- a company that was about to go out of business. Right. Multiple times, because you know how WCW was back then. He's losing and yeah. gaining it back every two weeks. So, it's like he's... What is he like? He's probably like six-time champion somehow or something. Probably is. Yeah. Uh, but then it's TNA thing. Obviously, he did do some things in TNA. He um, gave people a place to work. I mean, he can be yes. credited with that. And this is what I think they're using as the um, the excuse to put okay. Jared in. Is this is this that he made TNA, so that gave AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and Christopher Daniels and all these people a chance. It didn't not. That's the it only way I could say it. It, it did not. not. But here's the thing you have to remember about TNA in the Jarrett years. Yes. And the, some of the Dixie years because he pretty much was running the company during those times too. He was almost always running the company. Um, the promotion was basically there to put him over. Regardless of all these people in it. Yeah. It, he was always on top. 
every, every time, mm-hmm. you know, he and nobody wanted to see him anymore. He was NWA champion like 1,000 times with TNA's association with the, the NWA. Big focus of the company, right? And uh, I was just like, enough, enough. The only time he was good, and I'll give him some a little credit, he had a little reprise like a little like okay i'm kind of digging what he's doing right now mm-hmm. it's like sometime in the mid-2000s where he got um um th- that that cowboy tag team i forget the fuck uh america's, no america's most wanted oh that's yes they america's were like most his wanted. stooges and gail right. kim was his bodyguard just like the the old china days right like, right, right and it was kind of cool and i like that but that was like uh, six to eight months and well, and that and that's pretty much the only time Jarrett was good again and that's it after that it was just too much Jarrett. that seems to be the prevailing theme for the people that are opposed to Jarrett. going to the hall of fame is it was too much Jarrett. now um you know personal demons aside i you always want a guy to have his life together uh-huh. and um you know we we wish him the best as a person this whole time but yeah and I want to say this before we start, um, you know, talking about how he doesn't deserve to be, in my eyes at least. Sure. Um, he is known as a really good guy. Um, yeah. There, there is for the most um, part, and I know people will will get on him about, um, oh, he's he married Kurt Angle's wife, and Angle what an, blames himself. What an asshole! Uh, Kurt Angle was on drugs and had problems, and his wife left him angle blames himself i think for that right yeah at this point anyway and that is has nothing to do with jeff Jarrett. his wife legitimately like you know no funny business she just died yeah like and he yeah. was a sad guy and he met this lady while he was that working happens. in tna and she was separated from her husband and you do? they got married like and that, sorry like you know Shit happens, and right? that's not I, that, i'm not gonna put that on jared or nope. anything nope and from all for all intents and purposes a lot of people like him right um is it seriously more, a lot yeah. of people do like him so let's close it out here quinn and again I, i'm I've been very reserved, in my opinion, on on this, and intentionally to a point, and also because I'm not sure. So, Quinn, I'll let you have the first uh, chop at this. Why don't you think he should be in? Without you know, without being unfair, why do you not think he should be in? I don't think he should be in because I don't think he contributed as many good things as he did bad things. Okay. Um, most of his career was about getting him over putting him over and he you know everything that helped people was by consequence of putting jeff jarrett over not the other way around you think so yeah okay i i I, even down to his later career when he went to um he went to um new japan sure to be in the bullet club yeah that was just to shill his fucking global wrestling bullshit and like yeah remember Mm -hmm. that crap sure of course yeah like Everything about Jeff Jarrett has been always putting over Jeff Jarrett. And as the old adage goes, you know, broke a thousand guitars, never drew a dime. <laughs> this guy's been trying to get himself over to to this day. Like, I could almost see the Hall of Fame as just a way to sell his shit later on. Like, well, WWE has to ask him, though. To be no, I it. just mean that, like, you know. he's pining for this. Maybe, but yeah. I think a lot of guys do. Uh, not all, certainly. I would say this... Uh, if we if we're putting in, uh, I don't disagree with you that he didn't do a lot of great things for the business. Yeah, I think he uh, he was overpushed. I think that the fact that he happened to be the son of a promoter didn't help his cause. 
Mm-hmm. But even if he hadn't been and he was still that, because Paul Levesque isn't the son of a promoter. No. You can be overpushed and not be someone's son. Right. At know? least at least Triple H earned it up to the point when he got married. Yeah, he had already earned it, you're he, saying. He had already, yeah. he had earned it before he married he into the family. He to did. be fair to him. He did. Yeah. Um. However, only because of the lax nature sometimes of the WWE Hall of Fame, I'm I'm gonna say I have no problem with him being in. He had a long, hard working career. Uh, look, was did he have some pushes handed to him? Absolutely, mm-hmm. especially by Vince Russo and then himself. Right, but he also did work hard. I can't take that away from him. The mm. cr- the criteria at this and Quinn and I don't have to agree. There, there's no like yeah. <laughs> WWE already put him in. This doesn't. You know, I just no I just think he's a low bar because and I can respect yeah, that. I because I, I just don't think he. It's about what you contribute. I respect that. And I don't think he contributed. He only contributed for himself and not for anyone else. I could, again, I can easily take that point of view on a different day in a different mood. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, the way I'm thinking now is he had a long career, which he did. Mm -hmm. He, He worked hard. He could wrestle. He wasn't. No, he wasn't the worst wrestler or anything. And he also wasn't the best at anything, meaning he wasn't the best talker you'd ever find. He wasn't the best wrestler, didn't have the best look, physique, blah, blah, blah. But he was a solid hand. And for as long, I'm giving it to him on longevity alone, I think. (laughs) Which is... That's that's fair enough. I I I mean? I I don't know. I'm not disagreeing with your point. Yeah, I mean... I get you. Yeah, it's... and, And some guys, you know, I give... I, I try to put people in the perspective of what they are. Yes. Too. And Jarrett um, is a guy that probably should have been more. And he's just disappointing to me. And, and I see that. Because he takes shortcuts and he only cares about himself. And I, I, I just don't like it. I could like see if, that. If, if, if the only way you could truly stay on the top is to form your own company, <laughs> then like, what the fuck? Like, seriously. <laughs> I'll let you have that as the last yeah. word, Quinn. That's that's fair enough. So, folks, let us know. Let us know what you think. You can do that by joining the Facebook group if you haven't yet. You can comment on our video if you're watching the YouTube version, or you can let us know on Twitter at OVP Podcast. In the meantime, we will be back next week for another Hall of Fame bite as we tick away the weeks towards WrestleMania. And be sure to check out our normal podcast. Episode number 72 is out now. Yep. And episode number 73 comes out this Monday. And trust me, You don't want to miss it. Until next time, I am Joe Murata. That is Michael Quinn saying so long and see you next week. See ya.